Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The FT. Hello, and welcome back to the FT Arts Podcast. I'm Neville Hawcock, the FT's Deputy Arts Editor, and this week I'm joined by Nigel Andrews, the paper's film critic. Hello. And by Peter Buckingham, Head of Distribution and Exhibition at the British Film Institute. Hello. We're here to discuss 3D movies. This year the format looks set to be bigger than ever, with numerous costly releases, including the latest Pirates of the Caribbean yarn, and offerings from both Spielberg and Scorsese. Art house directors have been joining in too. Werner Herzog's documentary on cave art has just opened in the UK. But will the public buy it? Disney's 3D Mars Needs Moms, which opened last month in the US and opens soon in the UK, is on course to be a mega flop. Maybe the novelty has worn off. To get an inside perspective, I spoke earlier to Rupert Preston, producer of last year's hit movie Street Dance 3D and of Horrid Henry, the movie, scheduled for release this summer. I started by asking whether 3D was adding significantly to filmmakers' costs. Thanks very much for taking the time to um, speak to us about this. How much more expensive is it to make a, a 3D film than a flat film? I mean, it kind of depends on what your overall budget is, but I mean, our films were made, both Horrid Henry and Street Dance, um, and we've got the Street Dance sequel, which starts shooting in June, which will also be in 3D. And those films are sort of budgeted at under $10 million, and the 3D adds well, between 10 to 20% of the budget. Do you see 3D becoming, ever becoming the default mode uh, when, you, when you go to a cinema? You'll expect to see things in 3D? Or do you hope that will be the case? I don't think so. I think it's, I mean, literally, if you look at the amount of films that are, from a UK point of view, how many British films are being made, and if there's 50 or 60 being made a year, and literally one or two in 3D, it's, it's, not, it's not huge. To be honest, I think there's certain types of films that it fits perfectly, but there's lots of types of films that they can be in 2D. Yes, but you think it'll sustain itself? I'd be very surprised if it didn't, just because of the amount of investment that's been put into it in the cinemas. And the fact is, you know, cinema admissions, certainly in America, have been going down. And it's the fact that the 3D price, ticket prices have gone up. You know, they've they kind of kept the box office at a level or increased it, even though admissions are going down. I'd be amazed if it disappeared. The, the, the Hollywood studios are, are fairly committed to um, 3D films. Peter, it may not be too much of a hurdle for movie makers, but is it uh, costly for picture houses to show these sort of movies? Uh, it is quite expensive, actually. Um, it's First of all, you need a digital projector, which is expensive in its own right. And then in addition to that, you've got to have various, uh, there are various different uh, technical solutions, but they all add on to the top of a cost of a, a normal two-dimensional digital projector kit. However, having said that, the the train that is really pulling the whole digital projection movement is actually 3D. And the reason for that is because consumers are reacting very strongly, positively towards 3D, both in terms of numbers turning up to watch it and also in terms of actually, as was just said, about paying a slightly premium ticket price for watching 3D. 
And actually, without 3D, the conversion from 35mm analogue projectors to, to digital projectors is very unlikely to have happened. It, it's the 3D consumer demand that has really pulled the, the very expensive conversion from 35mm to digital into reality. Is this going to um, adversely affect the art houses, though? Because they will find it hard to compete against the uh, multiplexes that can readily afford that sort of uh, equipment. I don't think so. I don't think it's a question of art house versus uh, multiplex. I, I think there is an issue about ability to pay or not, and I think that's not necessarily, you know, that issue is not necessarily confined just to art house. I think there's, and there is a looming issue around this anyway. This is more a wider discussion about the digitalization of cinemas and so on, but uh, the financing methods and the uh, and the economics of, of, of conversion means that certain types of cinemas that are either second or third run or repertory or part-time and so on are going to struggle to be part of the the financing mechanism that the industry has chosen to be able to contribute to, to this to work. And there is a, a an ongoing threat that a number of those cinemas will actually close or will have severe problems of supply in the next few years as 35mm cuts off. That's slightly away from the 3D discussion, but I wouldn't characterise it as an art house versus multiplex in this case. I think it's a, a part-time or, or programming or, or, or financial issue rather than uh, a versus multiplex rather than art house. You don't see 3D sort of driving the demise of the art house then? It's, no. uh, it's a, a symptom or just part no. of it possibly? No, no. And are you confident that it's, uh, that it's here to stay, 3D? Well, I am. I'm very confident, actually. I'm probably guilty myself in the past of being slightly too sort of exaggerated in terms of what it is. So th- things like saying, you know, it's colour and versus black and white and sound versus silent and 3D versus 2D, it's probably pushing it a bit much. But I wouldn't go too far below that. Um, I think that, you know, we see in 3D and we, it's a greater experience. And I think there's a little, quite a lot of evidence to say that, uh, that people actually find the experience a, a more immersive one and, and therefore a better part of the storytelling. So, Nigel, uh, Peter's confident that it's here to stay. And uh, George Lucas at a conference yesterday said it's a better way of looking at a film. I totally believe now that 3D will completely take over just like colour did. Should we welcome that? Um, well, if it were true, <laughs> I guess one would welcome it. But uh, I'm not convinced. I've been a doubter since this uh, latest cycle of 3D began, having lived through, um, a shocking as it is to confess, two earlier waves, one in the 50s, one in the 70s, um, which, of course, climaxed in the famous or infamous Jaws 3D. They've, there's no doubt that the technology is better now, that it's a smoother, easier experience to watch 3D. You don't have that awful kind of muscle spasm every time the shot changes, which you used to do in earlier 3D cycles. Uh, the glasses are easier to wear, etc., etc. Um, however, I, I dispute this comparison with, with sound and colour. Yes, there were a lot of people saying <clears throat> sound would never catch on in cinema and that it was a desecration of cinema, and the same thing happened with colour. Uh, people said, we don't want that, we love movies in black and white. The difference here, I think, is that sound and colour are infinitely varied and plastic and unpredictable, and therefore artists can do a lot of inexpressive uh, things with them. Depth of field isn't. Depth of field is, uh, we know what it is, it's it's limited, we know how it's going to perform, and I think film goes build that into a film when they're watching it in two dimensions. Therefore, I'm I'm frankly doubtful uh, that uh, 3D will hang on just because viewers can, in a sense, uh, supply it themselves. And in, and indeed, there's a sense of jadedness, I think, after half an hour watching a 3D film when you just take it for granted and so the glasses become kind of superfluous. The development in uh, well, the film that's just uh, opened and has been attracting a lot of attention 
in the UK recently is the Herzog film, The Cave of Forgotten Dreams. And uh, I'm not trying to catch you out here, Nigel, but you were very favourable about that in your um, uh, film column last week. Is that, is that a sort of counter-example to your thesis? Well, I don't like the idea of um, thinking 3D is either there or it's extinct like the dinosaur. I mean, I'd like, I'd like it to hang around being used by creative directors when they want to do something different with it. And it's intriguing that two of the fathers of the new German cinema back in the 70s were there in Berlin this year screening their new 3D films on the same day. Wim Wenders with Pina, his dance film, and Herzog with Cave of Forgotten Dreams. And they were doing new things with it. Well, that's fine. I think uh, if artists and independent filmmakers get hold of it, they can innovate with 3D. I think what we're seeing is is too much of the um, kind of general run of digimation movies, if I can call them that, which are the same, you know, from Yogi Bear to Romeo and Juliet to you name it. And I think that's probably... Uh, the kind of film that audiences are getting getting tired of. That's possibly the uh, the problem with uh, with Mars needs moms. Um, Peter, uh, you had to, I gather you had some uh, in- interesting information about the Herzog movie. Well, yeah, we do. Basically, we as the film council supported its release, uh, helped its release in it, and part of that we always make sure we have exit polls. So we always ask the audiences at the uh, of the first weekend what they thought about the film because it's their money, and if they don't like it, then we've chosen the wrong film, really. That's one of the reasons why we do it. But here we asked quite a few questions about the 3D and 2D, and what's interesting, I think, about um, what Nigel's also saying about this is about the artists and so on, is that that sometimes the debate about 3D is pinned too much upon the beginnings of where 3D started, which is animation and you know special effects and that kind of stuff, and, and, and less attention, perhaps, has been taken to the fact of where it can be in a new, you know, creating new creative forms and so on and so forth like on Cave of Forgotten Dreams or, or Pina. So what's interesting here is that mm. the, the, the results also show that the, same ki- that the same kind of sort of innate sort of mistrust and prejudice about 3D is actually there. So, only, so for example, only 21% of the people that were going to see the film actually really thought 3D was any good. They were quite mistrustful of it. I mean, you know, 79% of them are therefore saying, I'm not sure if I really like 3D, isn't it just a sort of fad or a special effects thing, etc. Conversely, though... The difference, because it's also out in 2D, that, by the way, everybody loved the film, but the 2D people were like to, 34% thought it was excellent, but the 3D people was 44%. So there's a greater sense of enjoyment. And I think that's coming, and, and actually there's some more like that as well, that, 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 in terms of that sense that 77% thought that 3D enhanced their experience of the film. So I think that what, what you get is, and I think your point, Nigel, about forgetting you have the glasses on is actually a very good one because where 3D is working at its best, and I do go back to the word immersive, you're inside that experience and you're experiencing the storytelling better and it's impacting a little stronger, more surrounding you. And and, and consistently, fairly consistently, people are coming out, not perhaps even remembering sometimes they actually perhaps even saw a 3D film. Up was like that for me, for example. It's interesting that you say that about Up because uh, in preparing for this podcast I was trying to think back about the 3D films I've seen with my kids and actually it's a bit hard to disentangle which ones were in 3D and which ones, uh, yes. which, which ones weren't. Actually Up was of course one of the great successes of the early 3D cycle. In fact I think it was the first 3D film ever to open the Cannes Film Festival so at that point uh, and, and Avatar was on the way and, and so on. However it, the fact has to be faced that there are huge um, signs of alarm going on in Hollywood at the moment. I mean, the, the Mars need, Needs Mom seems to have started a kind of pandemic of panic among some areas of the Hollywood executive class. I mean, they have shut down 
the uh, Robert Zemeckis department of their studio. Robert Zemeckis, of course, made Forrest Gump and um, Back to the Future and has now flopped big time with this movie. And Disney has shut down his entire digital animation uh, department. Uh, We also hear there's a report that uh, a remake of the Beatles' Yellow Submarine film in 3D has been scrapped. And so people are thinking twice about this at the moment. And also there are signs that audiences are getting unwilling to pay higher prices for what they think is not necessarily that higher an experience. Well, as you say, it's, uh, I suppose it's whether the director uses it creatively or not, and uh, uh, often it seems they won't uh, use it in that way. But, Peter, to go back to you, you seemed pretty confident earlier that it would become uh, what people would expect to see at the cinema. Yeah, I don't think it'll be uh, consistent. I don't think, you know, 2D's going to disappear at all because um, it's an extremely valid art form and an extremely valid way of telling stories and audience seems to interact with it. But I don't think 3D's going to go away either. And in a way, you could almost see that as as 3D veers towards the norm, then you probably are not going to see a price premium anymore precisely because it becomes slightly more normal. And actually, films have always flopped. So the fact that, you know, once you get a lot of 3D, the first one's going to flop, well, it doesn't mean 3D. It means probably you're veering towards the norm of filmmaking, which is every now and then you have a flop. But I, I think that... Um, and as Rupert Preston said right at the beginning of this, I think it's not so much about the investment that the Hollywood studios have done in this. I, th- I do think, though, that, that I go back to the very core principle of this, which is that audiences, I believe, do have a slightly more enhanced experience on the 3D over a 2D. Let's put it perhaps no stronger than that. But that is enough. But that is enough. But it's not that expensive to make a film on 3D, and it's not that much more expensive to bolt on a 3D on a 2D projector. That's enough to make it continue as a valid piece of entertainment into the near future. And you, d- you don't see it going the way of the uh, sort of 1950s and 70s films that uh, Nigel endured. <laughs> well, and sadly, I'm me. Um, no, uh, I, I don't. I, I think the technology is better. OK, thank you very much. That's it for this week. Thanks to my studio guests, Peter Buckingham and Nigel Andrews and to you for listening. The Arts Podcast was produced in Immersive Zero D by Griselda Murray-Brown. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 